Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Think Critical Podcast. Today is our first bi-weekly episode, which is a new initiative we're going on to try and record an episode just between the hosts every two weeks. Today we're going to be discussing uh, the human toll of the coronavirus crisis, the uh, vaccine trials that have recently um, been underwent and have returned results, the uh, response of Trump to his election loss, and finally, the situation unfolding in Ethiopia. I, I want to begin this podcast with a meditation on the very serious human nature of the toll of this coronavirus crisis. Just today, 2,000 people will die of a virus in the United States. That's a serious number. Almost as many as people died on 9-11. In Texas right now, there are literal bread lines of cars to a food bank, stretching for miles and miles, a sight we never thought we'd see in the United States. As much as we like to discuss the political ramifications of the virus and its response and the policy side issues of the, the crisis, we, have, we really can't stop forgetting, we really can't forget that it's a serious human toll at the end of the day. People are dying alone. Families aren't able to see each other. There, There's just so much devastation to this nation that has been wrought. Yeah, and you know, for every person that dies from the virus, dozens more are left with permanent medical issues. People lose their jobs because of this virus. You know, it's not all about the deaths. There is untold catastrophe and stories that will never be told, lives that were destroyed because of this virus. And I find it extremely disrespectful, and people don't acknowledge that. I agree. I, I believe we do have to look past the political aspect, which is probably what's most often talked about. I just realized that I believe the number is now 250,000 people did not live to see, like, to see another day. That is just a mind-boggling number. I believe that's like a little bit over half all of the American casualties in World War II. This is just immense. In- immense. Yeah. I mean, you can see, like, once you really think about the unprecedented scale of this pandemic, it really leaves you speechless. And I guess it even motivates you to try and do your part and uh, try and help everyone get through this. You know, if you're watching this, wear your mask uh, this Thanksgiving. Try not to get out and party with too many people. You know, we all have to make sacrifices for this pandemic. I know this is something we've been saying since March, but unfortunately, people just haven't been doing it. And yet, um, and now this virus is still around. And, you know, you get what you put in, and this country hasn't put in enough as a whole and because of our government. You know, you've got the Senate dragging their feet on relief, trying to play this for politics, and it's really frustrating. And it, it kind of exposes the weaknesses of our government and the policies that we've enacted over the years. If you are listening and you are some sort of anti-masker, I would like Fuck to you. see a political conversation about the efficacy of wearing masks for another day. And I just urge you, wear a mask, stay six feet apart, so that 250,000 number does not 
climb much higher. Yeah. Please, from the bottom of my heart. You know, just use logic and understand that masks work. Don't listen to the 15-year-old conspiracy theorists on TikTok that pour a jar, a jug of water through a mask and tell you that it doesn't work. All right, masks work. Social distancing works. Vaccines work. Speaking of vaccines, which we are going to Don't listen to to anybody on TikTok, in fact. Uh, Any political pinging you see on TikTok, immediately disregard. Any... Any scientific take you see on TikTok immediately disregard. In fact, there's only there's only one purpose to TikTok. I'm pretty sure, and that's just to to permanently comedy embar- thoughts. It's to permanently embarrass a decent portion of our generation. Just take them out of the running. Uh, so uh, you know, with that taken care of, um, let's move on to a discussion of the vaccines that are now coming out. Now. Um, in a overwhelming win for unregulated free market capitalism, uh, the company, which didn't take any government money, ended up getting the vaccine first because fuck you, Trump. Uh, and, uh, and, and also, the second vaccine, the Moderna vaccine, is made by a startup founded by immigrants. Um, and the Pfizer vaccine is designed by an immigrant in a foreign country uh, because of global. So, you know, yay globalism. Um, so, uh, but that, you know, getting away the bragging rights aside, um, now we have to ask ourselves we have this vaccine ready. Um, how are we going to get this to people? And how are we going to get people to take it? Or importantly, so, because uh, I, I, I have a feeling, that, uh, this is true according to polling, that people aren't really, uh, the people won't trust this vaccine, both on the right and left, because of different reasons. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I've got numbers in front of me, actually. So, according to uh, a Gallup poll, um, a poll taken from October October 19th to November 1st shows that only 58% of Americans are absolutely willing to take a COVID-19 vaccine as soon as it's, re- as it's released. And this is very concerning because if we assume that the vaccine is 94% effective, as um, some studies have showed, then that would to only about 85% of Americans being immune. People are going to try and spin this vaccine as an excuse for going out again and trying to live their normal lives. We may only have one shot at this before we really mess it up and the pandemic gets worse. So it's huge that we get people to take this vaccine, at least 70% of the population, in order to protect those that are most vulnerable and cannot get the vaccine, such as those who may be allergic. I believe that getting the vaccine to everyone is, as Greg said, it's a necessary task, but I believe it's also a monumental task. So take, for example, I believe it's the Pfizer vaccine, um, which needs to be kept at Antarctic temperatures in order to, I don't know, stay good. It's just going to it's going to take a Herculean task by the military to just distribute this vaccine. And it's going to take an even bigger um, it's, it's an even bigger task on the policymakers' part to convince the public that they are trustworthy. So I believe much of the um, distrust of the vaccine comes just from a general distrust of government. You have people on the left who believe that Trump's using this as a political weapon, and you have people on the right who believe the conspiracy theories. I just think that it's going to be an enormous task by policymakers to convince people that they are trustworthy and then the vaccine is good. Yeah, that's why more than um, now, more than ever, we need unified government. Um, 
and that's why Asif and Warnock need to win these seats. Uh, I guess we won't delve too deep into that now. If you really care about that, then listen to my episode of Critical Thoughts. But we need the government more than ever to stop dragging their feet and to have a unified message and a unified response to the issue of passing this vaccine around. Because if we don't, um, it could be an absolute mess. Yeah, and uh, a couple aspects um, of the vaccine distribution in terms of like a timeline. If we want the military to distribute the vaccine, as you suggested, Adam, um, we uh, Trump will need to start laying the groundwork for that uh, during his his administration because he has control of the military until he until he you know until Biden puts his hand on that Bible and swears the presidential oath. Um, so. Uh, we need coordination in that regard. I don't see we getting that. Uh, and then also we need um, we need to start you know uh, using uh, like a def- either the Defense Production Act or some sort of um, confiscation method to take over like refrigerated trucks or produce refrigerated trucks to maybe distribute this vaccine. Not only just also taking care of the manufacturing side, which is a logistical nightmare because I don't know how. I mean, typically in the United States, vaccine um, manufacturing um, uh, doesn't happen on the scale which we're going to anticipate um and on it's like basically a shorter notice than we're expecting some sort of more complicated vaccine an mrna vaccine which you really don't have anything like this before so it's going to be this is we're going to need a coordination in the executive branch and i don't I, and i and i don't see trump you know trump's going to just mess up this timeline because biden only about a couple months before his 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 you know quote-unquote due date of he said you know spring 2021 i don't see trump helping him achieve that goal yeah. at all yeah, I mean, speaking of due dates, Trump is too much of a baby to actually do something that benefits our country. He's too busy filing frivolous lawsuits about the election. Yeah, I guess people have to understand that just because the vaccine exists doesn't mean we can get it to people. You know, we still have to mass produce it and then we have to send it out. And I think that task is even harder than producing the vaccine itself because it requires the government to do something. And in reality, you should never hedge your bets on the government doing something but unfortunately that's what we needed to do right now um this is a little bit off a little bit more off topic but it's sort of related to the military that trump needs to like start laying the groundwork for the military right now i believe that trump as a political strategy is conducting a strategy that uh, we you four epic gamers call nation ruining Basically, he's making things as hard as I I believe that he's trying to make things as hard as possible for Joe Biden to um, he's making things as hard as possible for Joe Biden. So on 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 January 21st, he can come in and the Republicans can start harassing him, saying, like, why haven't you gotten the vaccine out yet? You know? I, I think that's the political strategy Trump's playing, yeah. at, and it's. I believe it's costing the country. Dear. I mean, I mean, the very existence of a political strategy from a lame duck president is extremely damaging to this country. Um, seeing as we are living in the midst of a crisis, and obviously this is a bit unrealistic, but you'd expect the president of the United States to put country over his own politics, especially since he doesn't have as much incentive anymore. But that just kind of shows how much of a self-serving narcissist Trump is. Well, so in terms of government institutions, um, Trump has done 
so much damage to these institutions because Trump doesn't care about anything but himself. Like right right now, what? So if we want to move into our topic about Trump coping with the election loss. This is really at the end of the day, what he's doing is he's ruining institutions because he's coping. Um, Hashtag cope. Yeah, he went he went through denial, the first stage of grief, and then at the end of the day, what Trump is doing is he's coping. Um, he is, uh, you know, because. Our institutions in America, the way they're enshrined, they're, they re- we rely on decorum and a respect for the institutions to make sure that bad things don't happen in regards to the institutions. It's just Trump only doesn't care about the institutions. He only cares about himself. And, and right now, because he's feeling really bad for himself, he's coping. Uh, he's going to do as much damage as he possibly can. You know, disregarding the damage he already did to the institutions because of his own self-interest. Right now, he has no self-interest but to just make himself feel better and get revenge. So he's going to destroy our institutions even further if allowed to have more power and presidency. Because – in lame duck presidents in the United States, we don't actually have any legal limits on the president because they just assume they're going to respect the institution. That's not happening with, with President Trump. Mm. Um, Isn't it hilarious that people actually voted for Trump as a political outsider that would put country over politics? And some people actually still think that that's what he is. Yeah, it's, it's all it's all about Trump of Trump. Um, in fact, you saw Trump uh, trying to go testify today, which I believe got canceled. Um, yeah. Or uh, you know, just the way Trump's his campaign's been acting about legal challenges. It's all essentially a show of making him feel better or riling up his supporters it's not some sort of like move for the good of the nation it's all for the good of you know the the orange man trump never stopped hosting game shows (laughs) yeah and then yeah and then you'll have his his acolytes as i like to call them that will just walk around saying oh why are you making everything about trump it's not all trump's fault why are you talking about Trump? He's living in your head rent free. It's like, yeah, because he's the president of the United States and he's ruining it. He's ruining everything. So, like, obviously, we're going to criticize him for that. Um, yeah, like when people are like when people were talking about cancel culture and they were like, well, Trump basically engaged in the cancel culture, and then people on the right are like. Um, well, he's just one guy. Like, also, he is a fucking president. He has the most power in the entire world. Like, please, we are very concerned about his conduct. <laughs> He also has tons and tons of power over the Republican Party. Um, yeah. Wait, um, I'm trying to think of stuff of how I would elaborate on that. Uh, well, if you look at early pollings, he's winning. Early. Yeah. So Trump can rally. Trump can incite such emotion in his supporters and rally just so many voters. Like voters, the Republican Party has been less or voters that have less enthusiastically maybe voted Republican. Trump's able to like really rally them up. He's a valuable asset to the Republicans and therefore has tons and tons of power. And you know he could use that power and um actually launch a pro vaccine message and try and get more people to take the vaccine, but it's him, so who am I kidding? Yeah. I think the government as a whole underestimates everyone's unwillingness to take a vaccine. They just assume that'll be like everything else and there'll there'll be some there'll be some crying from the hardcore anti-vaxxers. But then there are a lot of people that are actually skeptical of the vaccine and we can't have that. I feel like we should kind of circle back to that because I kind of want to debunk some common anti-vax talking points. Um as many brain cells as this will make me lose. It definitely is important that people understand that vaccines are actually safe. 
anti-vaxxers the, the the funniest thing about them to me is how globally like you know as soon as you present them present them any sort of evidence at the as the efficacy of vaccines they're like they're like they'll start like reading into like whoever funds like the medical studies like this guy this this medical fu- study is funded by a jewish man this is obviously a satanist plot you know, uh, you know, because you know they're anti-vaxxers, they're dumbasses. But as soon as they see any sort of like evidence that might support them, no matter where it's from, they really gobble it up. Like, um, I've um, I've seen people who have like said that anti-vaxxers, like, look at the ingredients of a vaccine. It's in like this long list of chemicals. They're like, wow, look at this long list of chemicals. This is really bad. It's like, well, there's a chemicals inside of an apple. You absolutely, yeah, buffoon. exactly. I found those. I found those troll accounts that that post um that post those pictures, but then it's really just the ingredients in a pear. <laughs> yeah. And then I guess I'll, I'll put it this way. Take a society of a thousand people and, um, make it a vacuum for, for the measles virus, right? Say no one in that society gets vaccinated. Well, I'll tell you, a bunch of people are going to die. A bunch of people are going to get severe symptoms and, Overall, measles is going to ravage the society because it is a highly infectious disease, just like COVID. But if you give people the vaccine, yes, some people will have severe symptoms. Some people will have allergic reactions. Nobody will get autism. That's stupid. Yes, we acknowledge that there are risks to taking a vaccine, but the risk is so minuscule when compared to the cost of contracting the virus and passing it on to all the other people that you come into contact with that we honestly just don't care. Like, I'm sorry to be blunt, but the risks just aren't relevant at this point. We have to get a vaccine out there. So, first of all, I think that, on to be honest... I feel sorry for them because essentially they're part of a cult and we could probably label it as a cult because they're not going to listen. There's nothing that you could say that'll convince them to listen to you. Right. That's what Lee, that's Lee McIntyre's whole thing. It's a cult. If they don't listen to reason against. Right. So first of all, they're in a cult. Secondly, they're in a cult that detracts from their health. Yeah, the problem isn't the community itself and the level of echo chambering, although that is quite hilarious and quite horrible. The problem is that these toxic ideas spread out and hurt other innocent people. You know, you'll never, you never know when you could come across an unvaccinated person and catch a disease from them. And if enough people do that, and you actually have a high chance of running into an unvaccinated person for covid in public then that is a very easy way to pass the disease because the concept of herd immunity is that enough people are vaccinated so that if someone catches the disease they can't pass it on to anyone because they won't meet anyone that's unvaccinated but if only 58 percent of the population gets the vaccine that simply won't happen so it won't be nearly as effective as we all expect it to be you know, it won't just be the miracle solution that fixes the pandemic, although it could be if we manage to solve the issue of distributing and producing. But those are all possible, right? There there are plans that can be made for that. But the human acts aspect of vaccination is much more difficult to overcome. It's so much more nuanced, you know, because you can't 
you can't enforce something that forces everyone to get the vaccine, right? That will cause so much outcry. So you have to get people to take it willingly. And that's the part I'm most concerned about. What if, just an idea for how to get people to take the vaccine, what if there was another round of stimulus checks, maybe like $1,200 that were available only if you got the vaccine? Oh yeah, John Delaney actually posted on it that $1,500 if you got a vaccine. That would be a pretty nice one-two wombo combo, right? I mean, because it's not like we're taking anything away from them. We're just not giving anything to the anti-vaxxers. It's just like, it's like a piece of candy. And money's a brilliant motivator. Yeah. Money money is the best motivator. Yeah. I mean, if money prompts people to murder each other, maybe it'll prompt them to do something as crazy as get a little shot in your arm. So, Adam, uh, now now it's time for you to say your piece on Ethiopia. Okay, so first, sorry for the bad audio quality. Secondly, um, the situation with Ethiopia. Ethiopia is burning right now. So, in a state of close to civil war. So, this whole thing started. Ethiopia was an empire with an emperor. Um, the last Ethiopian emperor was Haile Selassie who was deposed in, I believe, 1965, and then a communist regime took up. country was not good. Then, in about, in, I think sometime in the 1980s or 90s, the um, Ethiopian People's Democratic Front, I believe that's it, um, that's the name, um, took charge of the country and actually started doing good reforms. So I can't remember any off the top of my head, but essentially lifespan increased, economy boomed, and things were great. But political rights did not increase for the average citizen. So there were a lot of people that were like, that were protesting, like, yeah, like, give us political rights. We need, we want to vote. So they said, okay. And they elected a new prime minister who promised that he would hold elections in 2020. So uh, this prime minister was, I believe, um, named Abiy Ahmed. He actually, interestingly, he got a Nobel Peace Prize because he stopped um, Ethiopia's longtime war with Eritrea, which is the country, if you can imagine Ethiopia, it's the country to the north. So Ethiopia and Eritrea have been fighting for a long time because Eritrea declared independence from Ethiopia. He obviously didn't like that. Um, but in 2020, um, the promised elections of Ami Abed come around, and but also COVID is in full swing. So... For whatever reasons, may they be altruistic or dictatorial, he decides to postpone the elections. So um, a faction in the government, an ethnic faction called the Tigray um, something or other, basically they're they're from the Tigray region, which is a region in the northwest of Ethiopia. Um, They go back and they say, screw it. Let's hold elections regardless of what the prime minister says. So they hold popular elections to their local state parliament, essentially. And uh, Mr. Abi, Mr. Ahmed gets apoplectic about this. So um, this may have been a sort of a Hitler in the Polish radio tower incident, but an Ethiopian military base was supposedly attacked. And uh, Mr. Ahmed used this as an excuse to send in the troops 
And so far, there's been uh, a very long and brutal war. Um, it's, I believe, thousands of casualties. There have been bombing runs over um, uh, over the Tigray region. Um, just overall, it's just horrible. Ethiopia has said since I believe Monday that they're encircling they're and they're encircling the Tigray capital. But this is may just be propaganda. All telephone lines, internet lines, power all gone. So we have no, like we basically have no information on what's going on in the front. Regardless though, this is a horrible war. Thousands of people are dead, probably millions of dollars in economic damages. Yeah. What concerns me the most is that, um, Ahmed doesn't want the international community involved at all, which tells me that his intentions may be more nefarious than we think. Because when you think about it, he is the legitimate party, right? He could easily convince the international community to support him, seeing as the uh, as the Tigray faction basically rebelled against his government by holding their own elections. But instead, he is trying to keep the conflict as isolated as possible, which could be extremely destabilizing for neighboring countries. Um, because we know how volatile a uh, a region Africa is, especially East Africa. So that's why it's extremely important that if other nations get information that shows that the conflict is getting out of hand, that we actually go and do something. Uh, something which something interesting about the the conflict for me is um, India. Uh, Egypt and Ethiopia almost came to blows earlier this year over the dam. Uh, and I wonder what the Egyptian reaction to uh, this will be, or even more so, a uh, Gulf state reaction to this conflict would be. Because, as we know, the, 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 the traditional order is being shifted in that region, as we've seen via Israel normalizing relations and other such events. So there's a good chance that... um. That we see some sort of interesting local uh, response, not just a huge international response from the Western countries in regards yeah. to the situation. It's also kind of sad because I think Africa is actually doing really well as a region. You know, there are a lot of countries enacting more liberal reforms. And if something like this destabilizes the region, it would be a real shame because countries like Ethiopia have actually been doing well economically as you said as you said right growth is high um their metropolitan areas look more advanced I could, so me personally, I could definitely see both Eritrea and Sudan intervening on the side of Tigray. Um, and I could also, so obviously that stacks a lot of the part, that is a huge detriment to Ethiopia, because you have two relatively powerful neighbors intervening against you. But I could also see Ethiopia splitting apart. The thing is, Ethiopia is intensely multicultural. And the way the Ethiopian constitution is written, states can just vote out. So it's basically like the, I guess, the Gorbachev Soviet Union. I, yeah. I could definitely see if, so if Eritrea and Sudan intervene and harsher restrictions and, I guess, 
harsher maybe taxes levy or um, conscription is increased in Ethiopia, is instituted in Ethiopia, I could definitely see more regions trying to break off. And at that point, the, the federal, the Ethiopian federal government is just done for. Yeah. If if any of the scenarios that you listed out happen, that would suck because if the states vote their way out, then I could see other African countries just trying to play cleanup crew and pick up some of the pieces for themselves. So I, I, I do think we're doing a talking about a fallacy when we just refer to Africa as a region. It's really to East Africa. Let's, let's refer to this as the Horn of Africa. I'm just, yeah. I'm just I'm sorry. I just don't want to necessarily refer to Africa. Yeah, that's true. It is a generalization. Yeah. Um, yeah, basically, yeah, East Africa is just incredibly unstable right now. And if Ethiopia breaks apart, right, arguably the most powerful nation in that region, then, yeah, there's going to be there's going to be a power vacuum similar to what would happen if a dictator is ousted in a country. You're going to have other nations coming in, trying to swoop in and and uh, create a regional hegemony and. That's not going to be good because you could end up having decades of war because we've seen that in Sudan and in other nations. So I don't think it's unreasonable to call this a potential regional catastrophe. Okay, um, call it what you want, but I think we can all agree that uh, if if a free for all erupted in the Horn of Africa, I believe Djibouti is just going to take everyone. So earlier today, um, I read in the New York Times an article that a, a weird obelisk was uncovered, and this seems spookily similar to 2001: A Space Odyssey. It's in the so desert obviously, of Utah. Obviously, this isn't the case, but wouldn't it be? Wouldn't it be just great if, yeah. if this was an a- actually from aliens and it, you know, propelled us into the next age? Although the well, funny thing is, though, terrible def- depending on whether you believe in the Great Filter Theory. But um, well, I am the a funny thing is, so yeah, the, the, optimistic. The, the, the funny thing is about this obelisk, though, is that um, some guy on Reddit tracked down where it was and learned it had been there for years in about thirty minutes, just showing that no matter how advanced aliens may be, they are not more advanced in the collective willpower of a bunch of internet users with a lot of time on their hands. Yeah, makes sense. Also, this is not how we're supposed to discover the aliens. We're supposed to achieve the warp drive and then warp our way out of the solar system where a bunch of Vulcans find us. Right? This is not how this is not how it starts. Mm-hmm.